Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us. And I'm Dr. Joanne White, and it's always a pleasure to be here. And I just want to reach out to everybody all over the globe and sending blessings and prayers and wishing you all well. It's a very difficult time for so many people, and often we find ourselves in a position of being caregivers. I know I've been there. And Many of us don't know firsthand what that's like, what the experience is, the feelings are, how you actually navigate that time. And so today I am honored to have a very wonderful guest as well as a friend and colleague, and she's going to help us navigate that and take us through what it's like to have and to be a part of Caregiver's Journey. And I'm talking about Eleanor Ellie Gathada, who is an author and retired to provide full-time care for her mother after her mother broke her hip at age 93. And that care took nine and a half years. Eleanor Gazzato was actually working for the state of Colorado, the city and the county of Broomfield, and as a private contractor. And what happened was, after this time, her mother was not able to care for herself. Ellie Eleanor stepped up to the plate. Armed with faith, humor, and love, she navigated being a sole caregiver until her mother's death at age 102. And Eleanor's book, One Caregiver's Journey, is a beautiful memoir, I have it here, which journals the snapshot of the reality, the changes, as well as the challenges of caregiving. Ellie also published Generations of Good Food, which is a cookbook that spans six generations of her family recipes, as well as honoring her mother, who was a wonderful cook, as well as a masterful baker. This book is a collection of 200 straightforward recipes, and I have that too, thank you, Ellie, and heartfelt (laughs) stories of Italian life that brought families together around the table and is intended to delight cooks of all skill levels, and believe me, it does. Welcome, Ellie, Eleanor Gazzata. How are you? Good morning, Joanne. I'm fine. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's my pleasure. And it's not easy, as you and I both know, to be a caregiver. So I want you to just start a little bit and tell us what happened to your mom and how you had to make and chose to make that ultimate choice of being the sole caregiver. Well, um, 
as you indicated, my mother fell and broke her hip at the age of 93 when we were at my brother's home for dinner. Um, and truly, it was a life-changing experience in less than a second, frankly. Um, I ceased my employment uh, to be a full-time caregiver just before she was released from a rehab center a few weeks later. And about 18 months after that, she had a mild stroke. And I began maintaining a journal of all the changes we were both experiencing um, as a way to handle my stress levels. And I would write of various daily occurrences and how I navigated the changes and challenges of being a caregiver. And at some point, as a couple of years had passed, I came to the conclusion that my experience in my notes might actually help somebody else in a similar situation. And about six months after my mother's passing, I shared my manuscript with some friends and family members, and after making a ton of suggested changes, I had the book professionally edited and subsequently published. So it's been quite an interesting uh, adventure as my journey continues. <laughs> and I think our journeys always continue. So I want to get into yes. the heart of what it's like because a lot of people, being a caregiver, a lot of people may be going through that right now. And what I'd like you to do is, is tell us some of your experience because it's hard doing it alone, hard mm -hmm. with an elderly mm -hmm. person has mm -hmm. issues, and, and a little bit about what that was like for you. Well, you know, um, for me, initially, uh, because it occurred, the, the accident occurred so quickly and, and everything just changed so quickly, um, the, the first thing that I noticed was all of the people that were my friends suddenly just moved on, and I was virtually left alone. And to this day, to this day, just three of the people who were my friends when I began my caregiving journey oh so many, many years ago are still my friends. The rest of the people I've never heard from. And occasionally wow. as people understand that um, you've written a book or that you've gotten an award or that you've been on a radio show well, they might they might call, um, and it's pretty. You just know that it's a disingenuous reach out, um, and yeah, I have to tell you, I don't know how to do that. Um, once my caregiving, no, I don't know that you know how to be disingenuous at all, and I and I appreciate that no, about you. Uh, yeah, I. I but, but again, so so part of it was the feel, the social isolation, and I can totally relate oh, to that. Very much so. I mean, right. the world and, moved on for nine and a half years without me, and um, and and to this day, I kind of feel like almost a decade just kind of escaped me along the way, and it's still even reintegrating back into society. You go, holy moly, look at what's changed. Just driving down the street, everything is, you live in a different world. Right, totally different. So, mm -hmm. obviously, you're dealing with your mother, and mm -hmm. she has own likes and dislikes and attitudes and whatever. What was the relationship like during that time? You know, my mother was incredibly 
docile, gentle, and she was a very kind soul. Um, she had a loving nature, and I would say that faith and family were really the core of her being. And and um, it, it's not so much to be said in today's society, but but in back in the day, she was considered a true lady. Um, she was really vibrant and active into her 90s, driving, cooking, baking, crocheting. She loved having family close. And as her and my father's siblings all passed away, she assumed the role of a family matriarch. And the family, grew, the family joke is uh, she grew older was that her birthdays were treated as a national holiday. I mean, even our neighbors would bring flowers to the house on her birthday. But... Um, even as her memory faded and, and true old age took over her body, she was happy and grateful for anything any of us did for her. And people would remark that her countenance was one of peace. And she was peaceful in her old age and passed away at the age of 102. And what I would say to you is my caregiving experience was difficult and challenging at times, but my mother was not. You know, you're lucky because a lot of people are being caregivers mm. and, and the combative and difficult. Yeah. Right. I even the person, right. The lo- even though there's love there, and and that could be very difficult. And a person could be questioning, "Why am I doing this? Did you ever question why am I doing this? How do?" I- do you ever question what you were doing as a caregiver? I never questioned so much what I was doing as how I was doing it. Um, I guess I guess today I look back and I say, good grief, how did I do that? But um, at the time... You're just focused in moving forward and getting the job done and, and the commitment that you've made to see it through. Um, it isn't until after that you actually wonder how you did it, why you did it for so long, gave up so much. And then, you know, it's kind of like, what difference does it make? It's all gone. It's past. You can't have it back. So figure out where you're going to go from here. You know, and that's very important. But many caregivers, and and I don't know that you went through this from what you're, you're describing, Ellie, but many caregivers doubt what they're doing. Am I, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Should I have done more? Could I have done more? Did any of those thoughts cross mm-hmm. your mind? Well, I think the fact that she lived to be 102, I was a pretty good caregiver. <laughs> um Amazing. Yes, you were. (laughs) And and in my book, I talk about, you know, you have to look, you have to look for the humor, because if you make it be all about the seriousness, um, and, and people would say to me, who washes clothes at two in the morning? How do you get any rest? And you're thinking, Ah, what rest? You've never been there and you wash clothes at 2 in the morning because you got to wash clothes at 2 in the morning. You can't leave them until 9 or 10. You just throw them yeah, in, you, you know, do what you got to do, and you forget about it. And she used to, and and if there was that case that I had to change a bed in the middle of the night, um, she would she would sit very patiently on, in the recliner in her room all covered up with another blanket, 
And then as soon as the bed was made, she would say, well, can I get back in it again now? And, you know, we'd put her back in and close the lights, and then I'd go to the laundry room and start to do what I had to do. She was just, um, she, she was just a, a, she was, actually, she was just a neat old lady. Man, I hate to say it that way, but that's just the way it is. She was just a neat little old lady. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Did you ever feel badly that that the rest of the family kind of didn't didn't participate in any way, shape, or form, or were there any any challenges with the family during that time? You know, I I made up my mind. I made up my mind very early in my caregiving, and it stuck with me throughout the almost decade. Um, that I was not going to feel badly because they were getting on planes, going places, and they were having gatherings. That that um, the last three and a half years, my mother did not leave the house, not because she didn't want to, but because she could not get in and out, and and her safety was uh, very much a concern. So, if there were gatherings with family, it was here. So I, you know, when 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 I knew that everybody was having a barbecue at my at my brother's, or that people were, the family was gathering, and and some of the kids, the grown grandkids were in from out of town, the great grands were in from out of town, um, and they were gathering. Uh, you know what? They were going to new restaurants. They were, they were, they were living their lives. I made up my mind that I was not going to feel left out or feel bad or get all wrapped up in the emotional muck that that I could have the pity party because I was where I was supposed to be. And it wasn't that they didn't care. Um, It was just that I was, she was living with me 24-7. I was alone. And um, she just absolutely was joyous when they would come to visit. And then it was more work for me because if I knew she was going to have company, I had to make sure that she was all puffed and fluffed and her hair was done and, and she had lipstick and makeup on and that she she was good. And it didn't matter that I looked like I was drugged through the, the mud hole from underneath the woodshed with exhaust. <laughs> Uh, she was just she was the bell of the ball <laughs> always <laughs> well that's also because of you like you said so you made you you know you helped her get to that place of being the bell of the ball and and mm-hmm. <laughs> you you didn't have the time or the wherewithal to, to take care of yourself so something's interesting that i'm thinking about because afterwards you know after your mom has passed and the caregiving was over. How did you feel? You know, I felt a sense of relief. I have to be honest with you. I mean, did I mourn? Um, I'm, and, and you and I have talked about this. I mourned far more while she was still alive than I did when she was gone. I, w- I would occasionally look at the picture on the fireplace mantle of her and my brother and I, and I would say, to the picture, you know, Mom, I really, really miss you, but I don't want you back the way you were. And right. I did not, I did not necessarily mourn, 
because I had no disappointments or regrets that I didn't do everything that I could for her while she was in my care. And I guess there was a part of me that was relieved that she did not suffer. She was only sick for two weeks before she passed. So she did not suffer. She died in her own bed, in her own home. Um, And am I callous? I don't know. You'll have to tell me at some point. If I if you think no, I'm I don't think callous and no, heartless no. because I I <laughs> I mourned her before she died and not after she died really. You know I miss her? Of and you know miss her, but no. No, and I totally I totally agree with that too. And and something that I went through when my mother passed and that was at the I was I felt even though there was a sense of relief too and sadness and all of that. I also felt that it was a blessing that I was able, nobody else was around, that I was able to share those last years with her in a way that that brought us close, even though it was hard. And Mm -hmm. I just want to say something to caregivers out there, because, again, you and I didn't have sense of regret and but there are many many caregivers again who question did I do enough should I could and I'm emphasizing that for a reason because I want people to know you have to make peace with that within yourself you can only do the best that you can and caregiving as you know Ellie is can be grueling can be like you went through 24 7 so it's not always easy so give yourself a little bit of a break so right right absolutely I want to go back because you know your mother's health was an issue during this time but 102 wow how did that shift you to look about look at yourself in terms of your own health your own well-being well, let me see. Um, well, there, I can tell you on two fronts. The first one was, um, and I talk about this a lot in my blogs, on my website, um, caregiving, as you well know, caregiving um, is an exhaustive experience. And so people around you will tell you that it's important to take care of yourself and that, but... While you're caregiving, it requires your full attention to be directed toward the job at hand, whether the day is a good or a bad day. So you have to find balance, and um, you have to find balance in yourself. And, and it's a relative term where it's somewhere between rest and exasperating stress. And balance looks different in everybody's life. I find it through. Uh, daily meditation, I find it through my morning cup of coffee, I find it through um, my almost excessive exercising, which, because I'm, I'm incredibly active, I walk, I exercise, I swim, I love music, I like to dance, even though I write books, I'm not the, the best reader, but I find solace when I'm also in the kitchen cooking and baking, which I hope is very much like my mother. So um, we allow ourselves some physical and mental means to stand up to the chaos in our world, and it might just be accepting some grace in our daily lives. And as for me, um, in particular, my mother had a terrible rough patch 
between 98 and 99 and um in what she, way she had a she had a um an awful case of pneumonia where her doctor decided she should be home and not in the hospital and even though she recovered she had many many side effects which went into the spring and and at one point i ended up in a 7 day period she was she was in urgent care twice and the doctor's office three times and i was truly truly at the end of my rope she couldn't hear cuz it had all settled in her ears she was sick period sick and trying to get someone who is old and sick showered and dressed get them fed and medicated on their walker in and out of the house in and out of a car um up and down hallways and elevators and then waiting in a crowded office for their turn um absolutely was the end of my rope and i called a friend of mine who said why aren't you using the concierge physician service in our area and i thought what the hell is that but it was a doctor service that would come to the house every month they accepted her insurance her doctor was all on board with it and so for the last three and a half years somebody came to the house every month checked on her if she was sick and i needed them in between they would come uh they did all of the labs in the house they gave her her flu shot on her couch and she never moved off of her couch after that and i actually then was able to breathe a little easier so you have you know, to that's... look at what's out there for you i mean there's all these different services and i hope other caregivers would have the blessing that i have uh, to have a good friend who's who's the social worker at a local hospice you know that's really very important because there are many services out there and it's important to just determine whether or not that you're person that you're caregiving, whether it's a family member or friend or whatever, that they actually can fit into that in some way. Because like you were saying, Ellie, it helps them as well as kind of mitigates the, the burden a little bit to allow you mm. it's a little bit easier. And it's so important. I remember take, taking my mother to a dentist and I never oh, went back to him again because he was, mm-hmm. there was something mm-hmm. about him in terms of his humor, and it was like over over my mother's head, and it seemed very rude. And so I, I thought the people that needed to take care of her, not just me, or, you know, needed to also be sensitive to who she was and where she mm-hmm. was in her life, and that was really important to me. I did that with a dentist, and I did that also with an eye doctor who who was incredibly rude she she he gave her so many drops and took so many x-rays and so many shots that she couldn't see her eyes were swollen before we left the office she was having a reaction to all the crap they had put in her eyes and when the receptionist said to me and he would not talk to her he turned his back on her and he was talking to me which i have to tell you just angered her more than all the all all the prodding and po- po- poking did and when we were walking out the receptionist said to me you need to make another appointment and i said i doubt that she'll ever come back here again and i never took her back i never brought her back there again 
Right, and, and I think that's fun. really important. I mean, important. I just never did that because at some point you have to say to yourself, she's 100 years old. You know? Even if she's not 100, even if she's 80, you have to make sure that the people that are helping her and helping you help her or the person that you're caregiving has a level of compassion and respect, which it seems like. And also, I mean, the patient is is there. You know, talk not only to the caregiver, like you, but to the patient too. I mean, honor right. the position that you're in as a doctor and a physician, and that's so, so very important. So this book, okay, A Caregiver's Journey, Nine and a Half Years. Tell us about that journey for you in terms of writing it for all that time. You know, I I I I don't even know how to answer that question. Um, it's it started out almost being a total shock to my system that I would have to give up almost a forty-year career. Um, and take up the the mop and the bucket as my primary as my primary duty um, that I would have to be cleaning rugs. Uh, we had a couch that we called we we eventually called it the Tijuana couch, but it was the old brown couch, which was not old. It was actually a new couch, but it became very old because. Um, she had butter toast every morning at 10:30 and so the couch just became full of butter the couch became full of toothpaste and toothpaste doesn't come up i mean it just it was just one of those it was it was it was just a journey for me personally that i just marched through and when it was all over and then i before she passed away, my my brother, um, who who because she had some accidents while he was taking care of her, just just decided he couldn't take care of her. Plus, then his wife became ill, so we were both we were both caregiving simultaneously. But um, just before she passed, he said to me, uh, we need to you need to take some time and we need to remodel you need new furniture and, you need, and it was i mean i had not even thought of the vastness of of how much of a remodel i would would do but um you know then i lived for 6 months with two chairs and my television well <laughs> and i can remember the hospice nurses stopping by to see me uh, about a month and a half after she passed away and walking in and saying, what happened to your house? <laughs> you know, I, I guess, and, and I guess I, I just, I don't know. I just lived. I just survived it. You know what? I got to tell you, I don't know. I don't know how. Um, I just well, did it. I, think I, I suppose you go back to, I suppose you go back to the cornerstones of my journey, which really were faith, humor, and love. And that's very much in your book. And I think what we do when we're caregiving is we reach inside to all of the strength and the ability and agility and everything else that you have 
to be able to to take care of someone else. What would you t- tell other caregivers that are going through something maybe similar or something like that, but they're going through caregiving with a loved one? What would you tell them? I would tell them that, um, you know, caregiving is a is is a temporary gig. You're not going to be caregiving to this person forever. So you have to make up your mind um, that you're going to do it to the best that you can and give it all that you can. Look for the bright spots because there are bright spots. You have to look for the bright spots and you have to take the bad with the good. And there's plenty of, I mean, there's plenty of unpleasantries that go with being a full-time caregiver. You have to be on Can you team. share with our listeners one of the bright spots? One of the bright spots is you have to look for, like, the little quirks of the person you're caring for. My mother sang in Italian all day long. And she would, and they they never spoke to us growing up in Italian, but for some reason she would talk to me in Italian, and I and I find myself looking at her saying, "What did you say?" <laughs> and she'd say, "Menalawenba, the wind is blowing. Don't you know what I'm saying to you? Why don't you understand me?" And it was, and and you know I'd have to laugh. She used to love to listen to the birds. If I'd open the patio window, uh, the patio doors, and um, she would just, she loved nature. She would, you just have to be comfortable knowing that there are things at the end of the day that you are going to be thankful for, and something will occur that you'll find something to smile about. And that isn't to trivialize that it's a heavy, difficult lift of a burden and particularly when you live in the confines of the four walls, as I did. Um, But my mother always had a smile. She was happy, and humor was just kind of a natural occurrence, which I know is not the case for everybody. But you you have to be honest with yourself that you shouldn't be caregiving if there isn't love in your heart for the person that you're caring for. And while I did not receive a lot of physical help from my family members to care for my mother, I received a boatload of love through their encouragement and their support for what I was doing. And I I will say to you, and I have said this to you before, um, the good book says that uh, the good Lord never gives you more than you can handle. But caregiving will bring you right to the brink of that cliff over and over and over. And I always said that he put me on a bungee cord and would tip me right over that edge of that uh, on numerous occasions in those nine and a half years. But if your life is grounded in faith, humor, and love, and you will always have that positive mode to fall back into on those unbelievably stressful days. 
You know, I think that's such a beautiful message because we need that. We need to be able to recognize that we do have resilience for this caregiving journey. And I think the faith and the love and the humor to get through it are are so very vital to doing so successfully. I mean, you and I have talked about the tears and we both laughed about, you know, how caregiving just sends you sobbing some days. And yet, well, it's you and I talk about, about it. I, it's something we right, can laugh I, about now. We didn't then, but we can today. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, sobbing and and <laughs> feeling. Yeah, I remember those that well. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so I want to shift gears a little bit because we do have a little bit more time, and this cookbook, which. Like I said earlier, it spans all these generations of wonderful books. Tell us a little bit about that and why that came right after the caregiving journey. Well, my mother my mother passed away in May, and uh, it wasn't until I would say maybe the end of October or November that I actually was living in a house that had furniture and carpet and paint and and it was it was new um, and it was cold it was a cold winter's time, and I just didn't know what I was going to do with myself, so I happened to stumble upon my mother's my mother's cookbooks, and I hauled them all to the dining room table. And I hand-wrote a cookbook of all of her favorite recipes for my nieces, their daughters, and some of her very close and favorite, um, her favorite nieces, uh, great nieces, actually. And there were, I had 20 copies printed off at Office Depot and put them in a binder. And then at some point, um, the vice president of Reader's Magnet said to me, do you have another book you can publish? And I said, no. And I said, you know, I have a, I have a cookbook that I had put together for my nieces. And he said, a generational cookbook with stories of some of the recipes that tie it back into one caregiver's journey. And so I started on another adventure. Um, and I ended up with six generations of recipes and people will say to me, well, where did you come up with this crust for the ricotta pie? And I will say, that was her aunt's. I mean, I don't know where it come from. It was in her aunt, that's from my mother's aunt and nobody had ever heard of it until then. And then people will say, and recently someone who purchased my cookbook uh, texted me on my, uh, through my website and said, their mother-in-law wanted to know if they could just make the crust from that. They loved the pie, but the crust was the crust was superb. And then I went on to say, well, you could always do what we lived through as children, which was my, when my mother would make a pie, she'd make extra pie crust, and then she'd she'd put cinnamon and sugar on it, and that would be an after-school treat for us—a nice greasy pie crust. And uh, <laughs> And you know, I, and and so I ended up transcribing my recipes, and I ended up adding stories because as I went through the cookbook, what I discovered on my handwritten cookbook was 
I'd be looking at how to do how to make how to make it. The recipe and it'd say, you know, add the garlic and I'd say, Well, there's no garlic in the ingredients and I'd think, Oh my god, I'm and I essentially made each of those two hundred recipes in my head Wow as I typed them out because I had to make sure that I had all the everything together. And I and I and I did and a lot of them I do have some wonderful memories of a lot of them. So what's one of your most favorite recipes and what's one of your mom's favorite recipes? One of my mother's favorite recipes was her homemade chocolate cake. Mm. Um she made that chocolate cake sometimes twice a week while we were growing up, particularly in the winter because she if company was coming on Sunday night, she made the chocolate cake and that's what they had for a dessert with their coffee on Sunday night while they sat around the table talking. And then she would end up making another cake um, during the middle of the week because she would also put it in lunches for my deceased oldest brother and my dad when they went to work. And I could never find the recipe until actually just this past Christmas when I was looking at a in an article and it said one of the one of the most revered chocolate cake recipes is on the back of the Hershey's chocolate Hershey's cocoa box and I went to the cabinet and pulled out my Hershey's cocoa box and I'll be damned there it was <laughs> and that was one of her favorite recipes one of my favorite recipes is um gosh so many so many so many I love I love uh, the pasta with the peas and hamburger, but I also love my pasta fisherman style, which is with crab, and uh, you make it with crab, a crab sauce, whole crab and mushrooms, and uh, you could put shrimp or uh, whatever you want in it, and it's just a, a wonderful, hearty, it's a wonderful, hearty stew almost, that fish stew that you serve over pasta or with pasta. I love that. Yeah, I yeah, love- there's, there's there's a ton of there's just a ton of recipes in there, and I look at all the cookies, and you know, mm. for Christmas I I bake and bake and bake and bake and give it all away, but um, God, they just love all the old. They love the Christmas recipes, and some of them are recipes that friends gave to my mother that she used to make. I, I don't know, you know, there's there's a breadstick recipe in there that seems to take forever that everybody loves. It's, Wonderful. It's just, a, it's just a fun little book. I mean, there's just so so much diversity in it, I think, and so and so much family in it, and so many, and, and even family who have gotten the book will say, "Oh gosh, I remember when when they used to make those sesame cookies," or "Gosh, I remember that." And it's been so long since I breaded meat. I'm going to have to bread some steak and cook it for my husband. I mean, it's just kind of those are just interest. It just brought back a lot of memories in a lot of in a good way to a lot of people. 
And not only to your family, it also offers beautiful recipes and joy and the experience of sharing that with family and their own generations to come. So that's a beautiful thing. So, Ellie, we're out of time. Would you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, a caregiver's journey, well as generations of good Generations of Good Food and One Caregiver's Journey are both available on Amazon. Um, and my, they could either get it through Eleanor Gassetta by Googling my name, or they could get it through um, OneCaregiversJourney.com, and that's all one word. Um, I would like to invite people to follow me on Instagram. I am... Um, new to Instagram, I am involved in a product in a, in a product development project, and um, and it I would love for people to follow me on Instagram, give me their ideas, their feedback, and that is Eleanor Gassetta, all small letters, all one word, um, and I am uh, on at one le dot com, one le two at Comcast.com if anybody wants to send me a message. And I think that's one, one the number one, L-E-E-L-L-I-E, the number two, at Comcast.net. And I would also invite them to, and either on my webpage or on my YouTube link, which is Ellie Gassetta, to um, watch my video. Watch my video for one for generations of good food. Certainly it will make you hungry and make them want to buy the book, which is only $10, (laughs) and my brother says it's the cutest little cheap cookbook on the market. (laughs) And not only that, I have enjoyed being on your program. It has so much value and history and and luscious recipes, and and that's beautiful. Go ahead. You said Joanne? Yeah, I just said, Joanne, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Ellie, you've been, firstly, thank you so much. And and what you revealed about One Caregiver's Journey, the book, and also your experience is really very, very important to others. And, again, it's so important to know that we can do it. And mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. with the love, the the faith, and the humor, it helps us through those difficult times. And also, your book, Generations of Good Food, is another beautiful blessing because who doesn't like to eat? I <laughs> right? don't know. <laughs> I don't either. Thank you so much for being a beautiful guest and have a beautiful and blessed day. You as well. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks again. So remember what Ellie said and contact her and please take a look at her book, her, both of her books, and get them. And remember that you can navigate whatever you're going through, whether it's being a caregiver, whether it's taking care of yourself, whatever it is that you have the ability, the power, the wherewithal to make it through. And Oftentimes, we need to search within, find our own strength and resilience to be able to do that. Power your life, even if it's one step at a time, 
and remember that you can do it. If you want to reach me, I'll give you the short version. Go to docwhite.org. Find out more about upcoming guests, blog, and other interesting things. And know that you are special. Honor yourself each and every day. And have a beautiful one. Take good care. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.